in a series called Stranger Stories. This has nothing to do with the series on Netflix called Stranger Things. I didn't even know <laughs> that there was a series on Netflix. I know that sounds hard for some of you to believe, but I legitimately did not know. In no way are we promoting that series, but in every way are we redeeming the theme that people are very familiar with, bringing it back to God and using it as an advantage to share the gospel on a personal level with any and every individual that we can. So last week we covered the story where Jesus called a lady, a woman, first of all, woman, <laughs> and then he followed it up by calling her a little dog. And I said that this is one of those areas where I highly recommend you not aim to be like Jesus. If you like the way that your face is currently, then that is a recommendation for that. But we also focused in on the spirit of offense and how to overcome that spirit of offense. This week, I want to talk to you about a story that involves some almost unbelievable obedience. In fact, I entitled the message today, Obey Beyond Belief. See, a lot of us struggle to even obey according to what we believe. And I'm in that category, certainly fit into that category most weeks. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to change my trajectory. I'm not going to attempt to aim according to what I believe I'm going to begin, to the best of my ability, in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to obey beyond belief. Our story today is actually a very popular story. Uh, even ancient history recognizes this story. And ancient literature teaches some of the truths of this story. I actually didn't know this, um, but this story is actually even in the Quran. Today I want to talk to you about the time that God asked Abraham to lay Isaac on the altar. It's a very well-known story, and we're going to dive right into the points this morning. So if you're taking notes with us, then you can write down this very first point. The point of the story today is, number one, stay true in the test. Stay true in the test. Genesis chapter 22 verse 1 says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, just in case Abraham thought the test was for somebody else. He went ahead and called him by first name. He said, Abraham. Now, here's what's interesting. The Bible says, after these things. After what things? After he had waited, according to most scholars, approximately 25 years for a promise. According to most scholars, he had been disobedient in the midst of that waiting and had another son named Ishmael. In the act of disobedience, he had dismissed uh, Sarah's servant Hagar and her son, which was his son Ishmael. He had essentially exiled them from the family. And so after all of these things, and theologians would estimate 
Abraham to be about a hundred years old or over in this passage. At a hundred years old, the Bible says God tested Abraham. Now, if you're in the room today or you're listening online and you are over a hundred years old, then I'm going to excuse you from this message. But if you are a hundred years old and under, that means that God is not done with you. That your best days are not behind you. That your glory days have not already been served. That it is not your time to sit in a seat and watch somebody else be used by God. That the Spirit of God is still alive and well in the breath of your lungs. And the blood of Jesus is still flowing through your body. And if he were done with you, then he would bring you home. But since he hasn't, he still has a plan and a purpose for you and for your house and your legacy and everybody in it. God's not finished. If you're over 100, then maybe he is. But anything else, God is still testing. The Bible says God tested Abraham. Abraham. So God says to him, take your son, your only son. Now it's interesting because it wasn't actually physically his only son, but spiritually it was because he had exiled his other son. He had sent him away. Your only son whom you love. And I want you to go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. God was about to find out what was most important to Abraham. May I propose to you that if you serve God for any time whatsoever, then at some point or another, God will prove to you what it is that is actually most important to you. God will test you to show you who you are being faithful to. God will test you to give you the opportunity to find out what is truly most important. Are you serving God because of what he has to offer or because of who he is? Are you serving the blessing or are you serving the blesser? Are you faithful to the promise, or are you faithful to his presence? I've seen a lot of people, and I don't want to give any examples because I'd get an email or a phone call tomorrow, but if you think I'm talking about you, then I probably am. (laughs) And I've even fit into this category. You know what? My dad's not here. My biological father's not here to defend himself, but I saw him repeat this process over and over again. I have seen people Turn to God and repent until God comes through and gets them out of the trouble that they were in. And then instead of continuing in Christ, they go back to what they knew. I have seen person after person, be it adolescent or adolescent in faith, come and get involved in the body of Christ, give their lives and receive salvation in the expectation of God changing their course and changing their situation. And as soon as he does, they disappear. As soon as he does, they no longer pursue him with the same passion. I've also seen when people would come into the house of God with an expectation of him changing their situation, that they would pursue him 
up to a certain point because there's a monumental moment that they've been praying for. So they come to church and they begin to get right as if your works is what would cause God to be pleased with you. As if it was your works that would cause God to love you. As if it was your works to be seen as worthy before a perfect and holy God. And they will begin to work and do until that date comes. And if the date comes out to their desire, then they will continue to be disciplined but if their desire is not met on that date then they drift away and I've seen this happen over and over and over again and God said not with you Abraham I'm going to test you until the day that I take you I'm going to try you like gold refined in the fire so that you will actually have something presentable in eternity are we serving God because of what he has to offer or because of who he is? Are we serving God because of what he can give to me or because of who he's already given to me? See, the truth is, if God never gives you one more thing, then he gave you his only begotten son, heaven's perfect treasure. And if all he ever does is save you from a sinner's hell, and set you up in eternity as the Father and the Son intercede on your behalf in this life, then what He's already given will forever be enough whenever you connect the way that He desires to connect with you. He doesn't have to do one more thing. Now, this goes against our Western civilization perspective. This goes against what we want and what we desire. I want you to notice in this passage, there is no weight in Abraham's obedience. Let me say that again. There is no weight in Abraham's. There was no deliberation as to whether it was God, as to what God was okay with and what he wasn't okay with. There was no weight. The Bible says in verse 3, Abraham rose early in the morning. And he saddled his donkey. And I just like that word. I don't know what it is about donkey. It just makes me think of Shrek. Donkey! I don't know. It's just uh, every time I, and I, I just, I like Eddie Murray. He's hilarious to me. He's just, you know, it's just so funny. I just like Eddie Murray. Eddie, Murray, Eddie makes me laugh. It's funny. The donkey's funny. And I think it's funny that Abraham woke up early to saddle his donkey. Like, I've, worked, I've woken up over some, early, some things early for goofy reasons, but I've never woken up early just to saddle a donkey. Abraham did. You know why? Because obedience always requires action. Obedience is not an idea. It's an initiative. You don't claim to be obedient. You show that you are obedient. Obedience requires activity. Now, you can be disobedient through omission when God tells you to do something or not to do something. But obedience is revealed in activity. And the Bible says that Abraham arose early and he saddled a donkey. He took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering, arose and went to the place of which God had 
told him. I want you to notice right there that he didn't go to the place of which God had shown him. See, we want God to show us what he has for us. We don't want him to just tell us. God has given us 7,400 promises in his word that are dependence upon, uh, dependent upon obedience to his word. But we don't want to be told, we want to be shown. We don't want to walk by faith and not by sight. We want to walk by sight and then let our faith line up with what we see. But that's not a biblical perspective to faith. That's a Western civilization perspective to faith. But the biblical perspective of faith is being sure of what you hope for even when you don't sense it, even when you don't feel it, even when you don't see it, even when you're not surrounded by it. It's not because God is showing me. It's because God said I'm going to obey and that is the next level of surrender in authentic Christianity it's not a popular message it's not one you hear often on YouTube but it is biblical number two not only do I stay true in the test in order to stay true in the test I need to see past my current concern I don't look around and I don't look backwards I look ahead Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey. Verse 4 says, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes. I don't look around at my current problem, my current concern, my current circumstance. I lift my eyes unto the hills, for I know where my help comes from. And my eyes saw the place that God has said. Even when I don't sense it, the eyes of my spirit will not look around at what other people say, but the eyes of my spirit will look into the heavenlies, and I will cast my concern into heaven above Faithing not on earthly things, but only on the things which God has said and which God has in store. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with donkey. I and the boy, I wish that the author of Genesis would have written their response. <laughs> he said, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again. God had told him to take Isaac, lay him on an altar and sacrifice him. And yet Abraham, in his spirit, knew that God was up to something. Because God was bound to being who he has always been. Even when it seems like God is telling us or showing us something different. We know that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Abraham did not worship according to what he saw currently. He worshiped God according to what he had seen before and what he knows God is able to do again. Discipline. I believe the credit goes to Abraham Lincoln on this quote. And I love that man. I hope to meet him one day. Discipline is choosing between what you want now and what you want most. Let me say that again because this is a really good definition. Discipline is choosing between what you want now and what you want most. 
so I can look at that food that I know the doctor has already told me not to have. And I can choose to deny myself of what I want now for what I know I want most. I want to be healthy. I want to see my grandchildren. I want to be part of raising my grandchildren. I want to be intimately and intricately involved in their lives. I want to be healthy. I don't want to have a heart attack at 46. I don't want my arteries to be clogged. I don't want my whole body going out at 65. So I got to take care of myself now. I got to deny my desires now so that I can achieve what I know that I want most and the only way that I will deny now for what I know I need later is if I initiate discipline into my current occupation and position discipline is denying now for what you truly want most eating habits exercise working longer hours just to make more money when you know your family is at home. You're denying what you want now because you're establishing relationship with those who love you most. This is applicable to any addiction in your life, be it alcoholism, nicotine, drug abuse, lust, God forbid, Pornography, infidelity, even caffeine. <laughs> Denying yourself of what you want now because of what you know you desire the most. This is what caused Billy Graham to never turn on a television in his hotel room. It's what caused him to always have a travel companion. Because he knew that he would have opportunities on the road to fulfill his flesh in ways that God didn't intend now. But he knew that ultimately his spirit wanted to stay pure before his God and his bride for what God had for him and established in him to truly desire the most. You can lay down your lust now if you know what God has for you later. You don't wait on true love. You pursue true love in his presence every single day. And when you meet the one that can only fulfill you in the midst of anything, everything, or anybody, then you will deny the now for setting yourself up for what you know you want most. Michael Todd, pastor in Oklahoma, growing in popularity. I caught just a snippet of his message on uh, Instagram, and it was just too good not to share. He said, this is the enemy's really greatest play, maybe even his only play against God's children, is that when you're in a tight spot, the enemy presses you even harder. So when your marriage is in a tight spot, it's really the only play that the enemy has is to get your perspective off of Jesus and the things that he has for you. 
When you're in a tight spot, he presses you harder. When your marriage is in a tight spot, he sends that single friend to you that hasn't and shouldn't give advice to anybody in a decade. And then all of a sudden, that single friend is a marriage expert in that moment. And she and or he tells you everything that you didn't need to hear, but it makes your flesh feel better. That's the devil seeing you're in a tight spot and beginning to press you because you're already in a corner. He'll send a guy with a six-pack and no wisdom. And I'm not talking about a six-pack of abs. I'm talking about a six-pack in a carton. He'll send a guy with a six-pack in a carton and absolutely no wisdom. He hasn't had a successful marriage in the last five that he's been in, but the enemy will send him in that moment to give you relationships ship advice because he sees that you're in a tight spot so he wants to press you harder into the corner that you feel like you are already in when your money is in a tight spot he will send Marksville and Kinder to put you a voucher in the mail to come and have a good time on their behalf he knows that you have a problem stewarding what God has already given you he knows that you'll stay there longer than you're supposed to spend more than you're supposed to when you have a money spot a tight spot in your money that he will put a pastor on a platform and begin to teach you how to worship God with your giving and it's not the devil putting that man up there but it is the devil stirring anger inside of you because money is an idol in your life in which you find more security than what you find God and then all of a sudden Instead of hearing how to worship God with your giving, you get mad at the man who's actually just sharing the message. It is the enemy knowing that you're in a tight spot and beginning to put pressure on your spirit and the emotion of your soul. It is the enemy in those moments that wanted to implement impurity into our society. He knows that the only way to experience true intimacy with God and in marriage is through purity. The only path to true intimacy is through purity. So in the 1970s and 60s, he began to implement pressure against men and women who were actually desiring to pursue purity. And today, he is actually beginning to press in legislation in states like Oklahoma in states like Utah, Kansas, Wyoming, and New Mexico, and Colorado, where women are able to walk around without their tops on because men are pursuing purity and we're in a tight spot, not just as a nation, but all around the world. We've become perverted and impure and wonder why we're unfulfilled and the enemy knows that we're backed up in a corner. So he begins to pass legislation and produce magazines, put it on our phone, and cause us to be ashamed instead of pure. God has a plan, but the enemy has targeted because we are in a tight spot. Got men walking around like Stevie Wonder in Oklahoma. Baby, just leave me. Don't look. I ain't looking. Using their wife as the little stick to help them get from one place to another. Driving down the road about to have a wreck because of billboards on the side. Trying to watch a football game. All of a sudden, the pom-poms move. I was just watching TV. 
You know, your wealth, that's the enemy pressing against our purity because he knows we're in a tight spot. Sometimes, instead of looking for a handout, we need to look for a hand up. We have to fight what we want now for what we want most. But we don't want to earn it. We want it given. See, we don't desire discipline. Hey, listen, hear me. We don't desire discipline. We want it donated. We don't want to earn it. We don't want to evaluate it. In fact, if anybody even insinuates that we need to evaluate it, instead of being convicted, we get offended. But that's not biblical Christianity. Sometimes we have to look beyond our moment. Romans 4.17 says, This is what the scriptures mean when God told him, being Abraham, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life. Now that's interesting. From our perspective, we know that God has done that and he can do it again. But from Abraham's perspective, this was a pagan man. He had been called out into the wilderness. Abraham had likely never seen God raise anybody from the dead. And he had never even heard of the Messiah. This is before Judaism was even in place. And yet the Bible says Abraham believed in the God who could do all things and who creates new things out of no thing, even when there was no reason for hope. This is for somebody. Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. Why did he believe that? Because God said. Because God spoke. That's how many descendants you will have. Number three, sometimes we will have to carry our own cross. See, Christianity is not a crutch for the weak. Christianity is a cross for the willing. Jesus said, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Can you see the imagery of the New Testament in this passage? Verse 6 of Genesis 22 says, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. God took the wood of the cross and laid it upon Jesus, his son. He took in his hand the fire and the knife. The Roman centurions whipped him all the way up that hill and pounded that nail into places that it should never have been. So they went both of them together. The father was with the son as he walked up the hill of Golgotha and as the cross was lifted into the air. And Isaac said to his father the same thing that Jesus prayed in the garden, my father. Abraham said, here I am, my son. Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? God, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. This isn't a crutch for weak people. This isn't about us getting what we want. This isn't about God answering our prayers. 
This is a cross for those who are willing to deny themselves and follow Jesus. Even when what he says doesn't make any sense. Where is the lamb? Where is the lamb? I don't know this, but I can just see all of heaven looking down at the cross that Jesus bore, shouting at the Father, Where is the Lamb? But God had to look past His current concern. He had to look beyond the cross that He saw into the empty tomb three days later. He had to look beyond Golgotha. What He wanted to do now was save His Son from the cross. What he wanted to do now was break his word, but he had spoken it, and therefore it shall be. He looked past the cross. He looked past the agony of his son, even the concern. And Isaac asked, where is the lamb? John the Baptist proclaimed, behold the lamb. Because God was willing to look past his current circumstance, his current problem, his current position, God was able to reveal to John the revelator, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. I know that it seems permanent. I know that it feels like you're about to lose everything that you worked for. But if you will lay what you think you work, for on the altar of God then the lamb is coming up the other side of the hill. God's provision is on its way. I know that the pain seems permanent but God's provision is on the way. I know that the problem seems too big for you but God's provision is on the way. I know that the pressure of this life is more than you can handle but God made a promise 2,000 years ago that if you will set your heart upon me then I will make a way where there seems to be no way. There was a lamb coming into your life if you will stay the course and be obedient. Carry the cross and look beyond your current concern. Your failure is not final. Your failure is not final. You think you're done, but God has one more move. He's not finished with you. Number four is Believe beyond your sight. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there. He laid the wood in order, and he bound Isaac, his only son. He bound the promise and put it on the altar. He bound the blessing and put it on the altar. Laid him on there, on top of the wood. He said, God, I'm showing you. I'm not here for the promise. I'm here for your presence. See, God had to do this in a culture that thought that they had to work and earn their way into the kingdom of God. Sound familiar? God had to do this in a culture that thought it was more about what they were sacrificing currently than what he had already sacrificed. See, they thought that they could come and offer a sacrifice at a certain time in a certain place. And be forgiven and cleansed for everything else that they did out of that time and out of that place. Sound familiar? They even took it to the extreme where these people thought, well, man, we're sacrificing animals to cover our sin. Why don't we sacrifice our own children? Sound familiar? 
You don't sacrifice one life in order to live a happier life. That's not how this thing works. Now listen, I'm not throwing stones at you this morning. Abortion is a real thing and it's a heavy thing. And unfortunately, part of my testimony is the time that I didn't focus on what I wanted most. It wasn't with my current bride, but it was in my past. And it's a scar that I will carry into eternity. So I'm not preaching at you today. I'm telling you that you don't sacrifice one in order to fulfill the other. And God had to put Isaac on the altar and say, I don't need your sacrifice, but I need your obedience. I don't need what you think it takes for me to love you. I don't need what you think it takes for me to be pleased with you. But I have got to know that I have you. So in the midst of his activity, number five, we obey beyond belief. See, Abraham reached out his hand. He took up the knife to slaughter his son. And the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, I don't need you to do what everybody else is doing. I don't need you to sacrifice one for the other. I don't need you to come to a certain place and do a certain thing. I just need you. Abraham, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to harm him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your promise, seeing that you have not withheld your desire, seeing that you have not withheld your will, seeing that you have not withheld yourself, seeing that you have not withheld your legacy in your very own son, your only son from me, seeing that you value my presence more than you value my promise, seeing you value what I have to offer over what you desire for me to offer, seeing that you value from me. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord not did provide, not has provided, but the Lord will provide. I'm telling you there's a ram coming up the other side of the hill. If you'll continue in obedience don't serve God for what he has to offer but for who he's already offered don't serve God for the promise and the blessing serve God out of obedience for his presence that is the path to true purity and true intimacy we're not waiting on what the world has to offer and comparing what we have to what everybody else is overspending on we understand that the greatest price that heaven has ever seen paid came in the form of Jesus Christ the only begotten son and he laid himself down on the cross because he saw in his spirit an empty tomb and he saw in his spirit a litany of individuals who would receive that sacrifice and truly surrender to become who God created them to be. So God doesn't need our sacrifice, but he requires our surrender. Last thing I'll say, we don't just give an offering. We are the offering. God doesn't want your stuff. 
That's just part of you laying it down. God doesn't need your effort, but He requires obedience. He requires surrender beyond what you see, beyond what you sense, beyond what you know, beyond what you want. He doesn't need an offering. We are the offering. God desires you. If you would bow your head, close your eyes. Father, I pray right now. God, I pray for every person in this room listening online who's in a tough spot. Lord, I lift up every single individual who is in the midst of a situation, a problem, whether it was brought on by themselves, the enemy, or the world around them, who senses the pressure, who senses the pain, and feels like it's permanent. God, I speak obedience. I speak discipline. I say that we would set our mind on things above and not on earthly things. Denying ourselves of what we want now for what we know we need most, which is you and your presence. Lord, if there's anybody in here today that doesn't know that they know you, I pray right now they would surrender. Right now they would receive forgiveness. Right now they would repent and not just turn away from sin, but God, turn to you. If I'm talking to you, you need to hear me today. God wants you as an offering. He wants to receive you. He paid for you to make this decision to be back in relationship with Him. If the Holy Spirit is stirring in you right now, that you need to receive salvation today, that you need to recommit or really commit your life to Jesus right now, with nobody looking around, we're going to pray in 30 seconds. And if that is the Holy Spirit stirring in you, and you know that this is your moment, and you want to be included in that prayer right where you sit, all you have to do is lift your hand and say, hey, that's me, that's me, that's me. Would you raise your hand today and say, hey, I need Jesus right now. I need to be forgiven. I need to be healed. I need to be free. I need to recommit or really commit my life to the Lord. I see you. I see you. I need to surrender. I need to stop playing games. I've been disobedient. I want to repent today. Get on track with God. Church, would you pray this prayer with me? See, we believe today that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. The rest is in relationship. But it begins with confession. Come on, let's confess out loud together today. Jesus, forgive me where I've been disobedient. Take my life. Make it yours. I believe you gave your life so I could live. 
I don't need anything else. May I follow you with all of my heart, deny myself, take up my cross, and follow you for the rest of my life. Save me, cleanse me, and fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give God praise.